maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on cracking joints in public, saying no problem for I'm sorry, plus one problems, eye contact at dinner, and friends who text favor requests. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on holiday cards. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, your extra question of the week is about hosts who can't get guests to stop bringing food. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And I have a bone to pick with you. I'm feeling myself getting very small. (laughs) What's up, cuz? Uh, what's up, cuz? I have a feeling you know what I'm about to say here. Maybe. I feel I so feel like I'm in trouble. (laughs) Am I in trouble? I'm in trouble. You're not in trouble. You're in little trouble. (laughs) Not big trouble, little trouble. Tell them what I did. You were so close. (laughs) You were so close that I would have loved to have said hi to you. (laughs) You need to fill our audience in. Lizzie Post came to my hometown to my stomping grounds to attend an event I told her about (laughs) and didn't tell me she was there. I'm such a bad cousin. I even thought of you. I was looking around for you guys. I was like, I bet that all my cousins are here tonight. So the town of Waterbury, Vermont, does this amazing, it's called the River of Light, right? River of Light Parade. Festival of Lights. Yeah, Festival of Lights. And it's a walk through the town of Waterbury with these beautiful paper lanterns um, many of the town folk have been making throughout the year. Some are really elaborate. Um, you can definitely check out my Twitter account, at Lizzie A. Post, and I've, I put up like three photos from the event. But they were really cool. There was a tractor, and on the back it said, thanks to farmers. There was. Did you see the fish tacos? Yes. I'm trying really hard to get out of being blamed right now by just excitedly telling our audience all about the experience. Fish tacos was Pooja's favorite. Okay, so it was a giant fish lantern with a giant taco lantern under it, and it was like hysterical. Well, it was a little bit, a little bit extra because the theme this year was farm to table. Oh, okay, I didn't know the theme. So okay, cool. There was. A lot of lanterns. I believe you were with the barn. I was with the barn at one point. We actually jumped into the parade when the barn came by and wound up walking the parade. But there were a lot of vegetables. There yeah. were carrots and peas. and we There had... was onion. There was an onion, sprouted onion. It was so cute. <laughs> and it, it fills up the street and it goes on. And it's really a, an event. A lot of kids participate in these workshops over the course of the mm-hmm. year where they make these really beautiful paper lanterns. And there are some really basic, simple ones so that they're able to produce... A lot of them give everyone a chance to participate, and it really ends up turning the downtown Main Street into this river of light. It is. Like, it really is. <laughs> the first year I went, it completely surprised me. I think we even talked about it we on did. this show oh, before. <laughs> but I was so excited this year, I remembered to tell you soon enough so that you could get it on your schedule, maybe think about going. Mm-hmm. But then we didn't check back we in didn't. about it. And I I um, automatically was like, oh, yeah, let's do that. And in fact, like the next night, my friend Johnny texted me and was like, Liz, I've been wanting to invite you over and do homemade pizza. That's our thing. But Johnny and I both love Italy. We've both been there. We both try to make homemade Italian pizza at home. So he was like, I've been wanting to do pizza with you and my daughter, Viv. 
like, can we please do it this Saturday? And I was like, oh, my gosh, perfect opportunity. I said, you know, there's this beautiful festival with these lanterns and it's like really cool, culminates in a big bonfire with hot chocolate, like free hot chocolate for the kids, which is really fun, you know, and they have like fire dancers and all kinds of things like that. But it's like a really good, wholesome, family fun Vermont, like winter thing to go do. And I said, and because it's in Waterbury, we could probably go and pick a sledding hill really easily and go sledding with Viv before, go to the festival and then go home and make pizza. And he was like, that's the perfect weekend. Like, let's do that. What I did not realize, so I did, I wasn't, I was like and wanting to meet up with you. Yeah, we ended up in the parade. Um, and Benny was with us too, which was really special for me. And so it was really fun. It was like a really great event. But you're right. I was with someone else. So I wasn't thinking of like, oh, we'll have to do it. And I know you don't always love answering your phone. So I didn't want to like be calling in the middle. I was like, I'll just run into them. And then I didn't. <laughs> but it was a great festival. And I'm so glad you told me about it. And Johnny is so glad that you told me about it because he loved it. They want to do it again next year. It was a blast. Well, um, we'll keep trying. Yeah, no. We'll make this happen. We will. You we went will. right by me. I was there with Anisha in a pack on my back. On your back. Oh, man. Oh, man. I can't believe we missed each other. But thank you for the tip, cousin, because it really was – it was a ton of fun. This was my first time meeting my friend's daughter, and so it was really cool way to do it, like a good event. I'm so glad you made it. I'm so glad you enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad that bone bones being picked now. I can be out of my shame hat. And there is always next year. And there is always next year. And there are questions to get to. This is true. Let's get to some questions. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. 
awesome etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Sustaining members, don't forget to put sustaining member in your subject line. You can also leave us a voicemail or send us a text message at 802-858-KIND. Program it into your phone. That's 802-858-5463. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. Just remember to use the hashtag AwesomeEtiquette with your post so that we know you want your post or your question on the show. I'm a little embarrassed to say that our first question is about cracking joints. This was not put in the show because of you. I actually didn't know you have <laughs> this as an issue. <laughs> Dear Awesome Etiquette Guide, is it rude to crack joints intentionally in public? I'm looking forward to your perspective. Anya. Uh, so, cuz, what do you and your joints think? Is it rude? Yes. Don't. <laughs> no, because Guilty. you do this. <laughs> Not on purpose. And I, I, for me, I'm keying on the word intentionally here. Yeah. And I, I, I can see all kinds of situations where things happen that you're not in control of, mm-hmm. where it's absolutely not rude. It's just what happens, condition of life. Excuse me, pardon me, move on. Or you that sh- might not even be required. Yeah, like you shake someone's hand, your joint cracks. There's not much you can do about it. But if you're sitting there, that person popping in a them. meeting, popping your knuckles, or and, and this is where I sort of put my hand in the air and say mea culpa your neck is something else sometimes people crack their back or their neck Mm -hmm. and for me it's one of those little nervous habits Mm -hmm. it's like clicking a pen or tapping a toe and i've gotten much much better at it in that i'm better at staying aware that i'm doing it and not doing it so much or indulging in doing it if i am aware but think i'm just in the company of my wife and oh she won't mind yeah but I do think it's kind of rude. Like anything, if if it's something that's going to make the people around you take notice and get a little squigged out, mm-hmm. if you can avoid it, maybe wait to – if you like relieving tension that way, do it somewhere in private where it's not going to bother other people. I agree with every point you've made. I do think though this is like you just said. It, it's a habit that starts to become a very unconscious habit, one that you're just not aware you're doing and – it can require on the person who is trying to break the habit of them to actually ask other people to speak up when they're doing it because you won't know otherwise. You'll just – you'll be sitting in that meeting. You'll start to do – and then it, – and it'll take a while. You know, we talk about breaking habits. It takes a while to create a habit. It takes a while to break one too. I think it's important to – as the person trying to change the habit – to encourage others to help you do it because I think it's hard to get started on the change otherwise. I mean, it's not impossible to do it with other people, but I do think it could help. This is one of those to me where it's not like brushing your hair in public, which I think of as grooming. You know what I mean? But I know people sometimes do a, they tug on their earlobes, but it's funny because this one has a sound that comes with it that really kind of gets to people. And it's not just like the one crack, like maybe, you know, you just put your thumb on the back of your first two fingers on that knuckle that attaches to your hand and you just give one press and there it's gone. But like it's the going through and popping each joint on the hand that I find that really gets to people and they go through. And I found that people who do it start getting into a habit where they don't feel satisfied unless they've done the whole run of both hands. And this is when you start to have a habit that's really starting to become a a not-so-comfortable public display. And it's like it's cracking joints. So I don't want to say it's not nefarious. It's not lewd. But it's 
it's not like comfortable for a lot of people. <laughs> and you might be sitting next to someone who could care less. That's true. Doesn't matter a whit to them. They don't even notice it. You could be next to someone else for whom every crack and pop is like fingernails on a chalkboard. Exactly. I really like the way you keyed on how intentionally and unintentionally sometimes blend when you're talking about habitual behavior mm-hmm. so that you might be saying, I can't believe that person sitting there doing this. They're just so clearly methodically cracking their knuckles or <laughs> popping joints. And, you know, they really might not be. It right. might be unintentionally intentional. So I think that on the, the sort of flipping the etiquette equation a little bit, we've been talking a lot about from the perspective of the person who does it. If you're the person who's witnessing it and who's maybe bothered by it, just having that little reminder in your mind that as intentional as it might look or feel, it might not be so intentional. And trying to give someone else the same latitude that you'd want someone to give you for something that was also unintentional but maybe looked intentional. (laughs) Says Dan sheepishly while he cracks his knuckles. Thank you so much for this question. I actually do think this is the first time we've addressed it on the show, so we love having new topics to cover. But we're not quiet all the time. You're not? No. We know there are times and places to be quiet and other times and places when we can make noise if we want to. Our next question is titled, No Problem for I'm Sorry. Good afternoon, Lizzie and Dan. I hope you're having fun getting ready for the holiday season. I'm already holly jolly, even though I'm trying to pace myself. A few weeks ago, you made a case for actually using your welcome instead of the less magical other options. I gave it a try, and it upped my happiness and self-esteem. As a social justice activist and gratitude enthusiast, my impulse is to always downplay whatever I'm being thanked for and say, thank you. I still do that, but stopping to say you're welcome first makes me feel more appreciated from day to day. Acknowledging appreciation from others turns out to be a great way to appreciate myself. Thanks so much for this. I'm really enjoying the change. My question is about how to respond to little I'm sorry's in day-to-day life for things that actually aren't a slight at all, like someone canceling plans due to an illness or mixing up the schedule in a small way. I tend to say no need for sorry and then graciously rework the plans. For tiny slights, like being five minutes late, I usually go with it's okay or no prob. These seem to work fine, but I would love to hear you discuss. In gratitude, Jane. Jane, I'm in gratitude for your question. Yeah, me I'm too. I'm also starting to feel that holly jolly holiday spirit. Nice to <laughs> uh, share that with you. I'm so glad that you're trying out your welcome and that it's working. I love your description of yourself as a gratitude enthusiast. You too. Let's talk a little bit about the I'm sorry and replies to I'm sorry because mm-hmm. I think that I'm sorry is also on my list of magic words mm-hmm. right in that little cluster with excuse me and pardon me. And how you deploy it is important, but how you reply to it is also important, just like how you reply to thank you is important. For me, I, I, I want to set up a little framework that I think we can apply whether it's a serious apology or whether it's a very slight apology. Go for it. I think it's really important to acknowledge it. I think that you – want to receive that apology, whether it's a big deal or not. And how that acknowledgement is going to be received is going to be different in different situations. In some, it might just be eye contact and a smile. Mm -hmm. If you're talking about something really, really minor, someone brushing past you on the street or in the store. Oh, I'm sorry. 
just like eye contact and a smile just so that you connect around that acknowledgement. Right. You don't always have to say, oh, no, it's fine. I wasn't hurt by that brush by at all. Or you didn't even get I often say things like, oh, you didn't even get me or no worries easily. Anyway. And yeah, and sort of scaling up through the things you might say. I I think some of the ones that you've used in your question are really appropriate. Oh, no need to apologize. It's fine. Yeah. For something where there really isn't a need to apologize. It's okay to let someone know that what they did didn't cause damage or harm, that you're still not saying, oh, don't apologize for that. Right. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. You bumped me. You knocked something over. That's all right. Is is really sometimes enough to both receive it, but also let someone know that you're okay. This is one of those places where no problem for I'm sorry actually does work in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? Where we were talking about no problem when people were expressing gratitude and how that sometimes doesn't quite fit the situation well. But here, you know, someone, like you said, bumps your chair in a restaurant and they say, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. And you say, no problem. Like. It was nothing. Don't worry about it. Those are places where actually diminishing it is okay because we're talking about a problem here, not a thank you. And as I'm sort of thinking about continuing to ramp up the acceptance, I'm thinking there are also situations where it's okay to say, thank you so much for saying something or it's all right. But thanks for saying something or so give me situations? another sample script here. No, I don't know. Those are good no. sample scripts. But what, what are the situations that you're thinking of where this would happen? I'm thinking about a situation where something maybe caused you some harm or even emotional distress in a way that you want to acknowledge that that happened. You're not trying to say it's OK, it's fine, mm-hmm. and that you appreciate the apology. So maybe that's one where, uh, let's say, the the food that came out was not edible or something like that. And the, the server is coming over and saying, I'm just so sorry. You don't have to say no problem. You can say, thanks, I really appreciate you taking care of it. Is that the kind of thing you're thinking of? Exactly. OK, gotcha. Maybe someone's late and it really does delay what you're trying to do and you can't do the thing that you were going to do together or that was the purpose of whatever you were supposed to be on time for. I'm so sorry I'm late. I know that we were going to do X, Y, or Z and there's not time for it now. Yeah, there's really not. But thanks for saying something. Let's try to work out another time to get together to get this done. I love that. I'm interrupting your sample script to say how much I love it because – It didn't feel like you were going to punish me or try to make me feel guilty that all of a sudden we can't do the thing. Things happen, man. You're on the road during the holiday season trying to get somewhere to meet up with people to do things. Things go wrong. It does happen. And punishing someone or trying to to leverage guilt on top of them, even if you're not intentionally doing it, but you just think, oh, well, they did do something wrong. So we get to now talk about the fact that they did something wrong. It's not going to make your time together any better. So I love the tone and language that you used of, you're right now, you know, well, the parade's over, but let's go find something else to do. Like, well, let's still, what? how much time do we have together? You put that positive, boy, I appreciate it. I know you guys wanted to be here, but what can we do to still salvage this or make it a good afternoon? That spirit of not trying to punish or harm or get back at someone. Right. I, are really important things to keep in mind. And even as we escalate to even more serious situations where someone's done damage to a relationship, now we're not just a little late or the food comes out. And even before we get to there, can we also just say that, like, if you are intending to spend more time with someone, 
chastising them for being late or or not bringing the right thing or something like that is not going to contribute to anybody having a good time after that. And I really want to make the point. This is something I've been trying to think a lot of lately. People understand that being late causes problems for other people. So hammering on someone else for that as if you need to teach them this lesson is not good etiquette. It's not building a relationship. If it's repeated, it might be something you have a conversation about so that the other person realizes it's a repeated offense that's causing them harm. But, like, we're adults here. (laughs) We all understand these concepts. (laughs) And part of that apology is acknowledging the harm that's been caused. Yes. So you have to accept that. I'm so sorry. I'm late. Oh, I know we had made plans to do this and you were able to get the kids all here on time. And I'm just really, really sorry that I messed this up for us. And then Dan can come in with his... That's okay. It happens. I understand. But let's see what else we can do to salvage the afternoon. Receiving the apology, receive it well. And as you're pointing out, moving on afterwards is a big part of receiving that apology well. The big stuff. What are the big ones? Same rules apply. Really? I really think they do. I believe. I believe you. (laughs) This is kind of a big deal to me. I really appreciate you making an effort to apologize. You can acknowledge all of the steps in the process because you're talking about a longer conversation, a more serious apology, and a more serious acceptance of that apology. I want you to accept your apology, (laughs) and we're going to move on from this, and I'm, I'm looking forward to whatever is coming next, X, Y, or Z, whatever it is. I think we can take these bigger lessons as we've ramped up through more and more serious apologies back to the little examples that our questioner was asking about. Okay. I think you keep that tone. And that forgiveness, that moving onness, a part of how you acknowledge, accept that apology, and then move on to get past it. That eye contact, that nod, that smile, that spirit of I hear you, dare I say I forgive the offense and we <laughs> can move on from it, yeah. can happen in a, a split second for a tiny thing in the same way that it can happen as a significant moment in a relationship. And it can be really healing in the same way that gratitude can be really healing. Jane, thank you so much for your reflections and your question. And while we're at it, we may as well remind you that you'll live most of your life to some sort of a schedule. If you learn to keep that schedule so that it doesn't get ahead of you, you won't mind living by the clock. This question is titled, Plus One Problems. Dear Lizzie, Dan, and A.E. Crew, I need your excellent advice on a wedding etiquette question. My fiancé and I are planning a destination wedding for spring 2019. One specific guest question keeps coming up. Can I bring a plus one? While we would love to include plus ones for all our unmarried guests, due to budget constraints, we are only able to accommodate a date if the couple is engaged. When sending the invitations, we were very careful to address the envelopes only to the invited guest or guests. However, many people have been calling us to request plus ones. We politely explained the space and budget restrictions. While some guests responded graciously, others seemed downright resentful. I added a polite explanation on the FAQs page of our wedding website after getting so many calls about this. Was there a better way that we could have conveyed this information? I felt that we were very clear in addressing the invitations, but that many of our family members either did not understand or pressed us for extra seats anyway. Please help. Thank you for your feedback. Best wishes, Petra. Petra, this is a tough one. And I I am so 
wanting to apologize after our last question to you that our answer may not be entirely satisfying. You did everything you could. You've did the addressing of the invitations correctly, enough so that people actually called, which I think is fantastic. They didn't just show up with a plus one assuming that they're actually calling first. So I think you, you do win in this department from the etiquette standpoint. But then you've got it on your FAQs page. You've been letting people know via word of mouth. And this is where... I want to encourage you to just be strong and know that this is your wedding and that you would like from a hosting standpoint, from a sentimental standpoint, for as many of these friends and family to be here as possible. But you can't realistically have all of them there and all of them with whomever they would like to be traveling with and showing up with. So it's just one of those tough places in etiquette where you have to know you're doing the right thing. And you just have to put up with the fact that other people might be upset about it. And at the end of the day, the other people are all, for the most part, adults. And they can figure out for themselves whether this is going to be such a sticking point for them that they choose not to attend the wedding. Or whether they can get around it and come and celebrate you. And I think you can you can hear just from those two samples of A or B, the way it's going to go, what the gracious thing for them to do would be. And if they really can't come because you can't accommodate the extra guests, then then they can't come to the wedding. And I think that it's it's a really tough answer. It's tough to feel good about saying, well, I'm sorry that it doesn't work that way for you. Accommodate where you can, but don't change your, as we've said before, you have your dividing lines when it comes to guest lists for really big events. And you don't want to start all of a sudden accommodating a lot of children if you've said adults only at this wedding. You don't want to accommodate a lot of we've been dating for three months when you've told people who live together but aren't engaged yet that they can't come to the wedding. And living together technically is the the kind of the bigger dividing one on that, that once you're living together, that's really where you and regardless of whether you ever choose to walk down an aisle together, that's where you're an established couple and you get invited. But I really feel like Petra has done everything that we would suggest in just keeping that upbeat tone in your conversation. Dan, join in here. You've been silent. Sam over there. Come on. You've been pretty much nailing it. (laughs) I I was thinking about preparing yourself for the difficult conversation if Mm -hmm. it keeps happening repeatedly. And frankly, you were preparing me mentally. (laughs) I I I like the certainty of that answer. I like the way you're emphasizing that you're in pretty good stead here. And it's really more about being consistent in the message that you give people, being willing to talk to people that do call and ask Mm -hmm. and not matching what you're sensing as their resentful tone Mm -hmm. with a resentful tone of your own. I like that a lot, like keeping your attitude in a place of, oh, I'm so sorry that's not going to work for you. We really would have loved to have had you here, you know, or, oh, I'm so sorry we weren't able to accommodate an extra guest for you, but we really know that this is going to be so much fun and it. Won't even matter once you're here. Plenty of people to talk to and hang out with. And you get to decide how much explaining you want to do. True. If there are venue restrictions or very specific parameters. (laughs) You don't have to share your budget with everybody. You don't have to explain to people every nitty-gritty detail decision that you're making as you plan your wedding. But there might be a way to paint a broader picture that clues people into the difficult choices that have to be made and why you set this line where you did. And that might be an easy explanation to offer. It might not. And you get to decide how into that you want to get as a host. 
Petra, we hope this helps and that the rest of your planning goes smoothly and that you have a great wedding this spring. It wasn't too difficult. All it required was a little courage and following a few simple rules of etiquette. Rules which are based on just one thing, consideration for the feelings of others. Planning things in advance can be a wise move, too. This question is titled Sticky Eyes. Hi, Awesome Etiquette. My name is Pamela, and I love your podcast. I don't know if you have talked about this, but I'm emailing you just in case. A little bit about me. I've always been interested in reading and learning about social skills, etiquette, learning communication skills, etc. Maybe it's because I'm an introvert or because English is my second language. I recently read the book How to Talk to Anyone, 92 Little Tricks for Success. I learned many tricks and tips. Great book. So I decided to write to you because one night my husband and I went out for dinner with two couples. We know the two couples because my husband used to work with the two men. One of them hasn't seen my husband for a long time, and they used to be really good friends. We all started talking about old stories, new life updates, and a little bit of everything. We were all talking and having a good time. However, when my husband's old friend talked, he wouldn't look at me. He was actually right across from me, so you could tell that he moved his face towards everyone when he talked. And every time he was talking, his eyes looked at everyone's eyes, but mine. So I realized this, and I looked at him as much as I could when we talked. This didn't change, and the whole night I kept thinking about why this happened. It made me feel like I wasn't included in the conversation, even though I was right there. I felt very excluded. In the book, How to Talk to Anyone, there's one tip that's called sticky eyes, which means pretend that your eyes are glued to your conversation partners with sticky warm taffy. Don't break contact even after he or she has finished speaking. When you must look away, do it ever so slowly, reluctantly stretching the gooey taffy until the tiny string finally breaks. I wanted to know what should I have done differently and your opinion. Thank you so much. Anonymous. Anonymous, thank you for your question. The whole world of eye contact is a whole world. And it's a big part of social relationships. It's a big part of etiquette. This sticky eyes concept is new to me. I enjoy the... You enjoy the... It freaks me out, the concept. When I read it, I'm like a long string drawing out of my eye. I, I can't do it. It's not I, a good visualization I, No, for me. I know. And it's not a great one for me either. What I like about it yeah. is that it, it starts to fill the physical space yes. with imagery. And I think that's, that's something that I use in conversation. I oftentimes talk about imagining yourself tossing your words to someone picturing mm-hmm. imaginary items filling up the yeah. the physical space around you is a great way to engage and if that helps bring life to your eyes and well, this give is- you points of reference that even take you out of that scary place of staring into someone else's eyes but starts to That's bring like attention the bridge of the nose thing we talk about where you could look at the bridge of someone's nose and you're very close to their eyes but it doesn't feel too much in contact this is elongating that contact though and this is really saying like i'm trying to do it to you now like if i go to turn to look at chris and i and i don't it's, it's, it's a long amount it's almost gets awkward at a Your point if you go dramatic drag behind yeah. a little bit but when you then soften it and think of it in a really kind of simple and, and gentle context it's really nice to as you're talking to then move on to someone 
let that gaze linger for just a second longer before you switch off so that you're not darting over to the next person and getting away from the conversation you're in. If it keeps you from that appearance of having shifty eyes, of ah. eyes that dart away or are nervously looking away, things that we say about people who have trouble making and sustaining eye contact, I couldn't trust them, they mm-hmm. couldn't meet my gaze, then it might be helpful. So you sort of fill up your toolbox with some of these different images sticky taffy and and a little bit like you i found that idea of sort of that that lingering quality of of detachment it could go too far <laughs> could go too far the other direction yeah. but if your if your issue was even doing it in the first place i could see that being really helpful so what do we think about you're at a dinner party or dinner table with like a total of like three couples four couples and one person who happens to be seated directly across from you is completely avoiding eye contact with you so my thought here is that it's really hard to force someone else to look at you. It's it's <laughs> you sure hard. Did? You sure did. You sure. It's hard to call them out. It's hard to address it in the moment, and it could be really disconcerting. And I understand that. And this is one of those moments where I think you're challenged. You're challenged because someone else isn't behaving well. This eye contact is so important. It's important how we acknowledge each other socially. And if you're not being looked at, you're not being acknowledged, and that can that can feel isolating at its worst. It can be just, like I said, disconcerting sort of at its best. Mm-hmm. What you just did here to force eye contact <laughs> was... A, I wish you could have seen it. <laughs> it was, And it was a magnified version of what I'm about to suggest. Yeah. You opened your eyes really, really widely, all the way across the table, stuck your face into my space <laughs> and stared at me. And I think you could do... Sorry. A modified version of oh, that? Yeah. The you non-intense version? <laughs> lean in a little bit, open your eyes, really make eye contact, put a smile on your face. Ask a direct question to the person. I really like that smile. Affirm what people are saying. Ask little questions to re-engage them. I think it can be harder to look away if you're responding to something that someone else has said. And that can be really difficult if they're never looking at you and giving you a chance to make eye contact and ask that question or make that affirmation. If you were doing that at the table to me, that's when I might I might feel confident enough to say, so Dan, tell us more about that, but actually use the name in addressing the person to get the attention over to me if I needed to. Or, Dan, that's fascinating. I would love to hear more about that quantum theory, <laughs> like you know, whatever it is, because it is that getting that attention. And I'm wondering if... I don't know if this friend was friends um, before these two got married. Is that is that what it sounded like? Because may- maybe this friend just isn't comfortable getting used to their friend now as a married person. I don't know. And that's just I'm being super generous here and like tossing out a maybe, for instance. But you never know why someone's doing this. So I try really hard. The, the, the having been in therapy for years tells me, like, self-soothe. Tell yourself, like, this isn't necessarily just me. I might ask my husband, hey, is there anything going on there that, like, is this just a friend who wasn't stoked about us getting married or something? Try not to put it on yourself too much. I don't think it serves your own sense of confidence well to do so because it would just be a guess at whatever reason this person has. They could be really shy. I know. Maybe it's two old friends and you don't know maybe the other new spouse is having the exact same thought you're having at this moment. Gotcha. I like your reminder to self-soothe, to try not to take it personally, to do your best to be generous in terms of your assessment of where it's coming from, that it might not be intentional. I would want my partner to tell me if they felt like they were being directly ignored by a friend of mine that we were socializing with. 
the other question I'm asking myself as part of that self-soothing yeah. is, is this now going to be a weekly dinner? Have they moved back to town? Is this something that we're going to fix overseeing each other oh, a couple point. times? Or is this a, hey, we've seen each other once in the last 20 years and maybe it's going to happen once in the next 20 years and it's more about getting comfortably through this meal than it is about making repairs or really fixing anything that's going to have significance down the line. Yeah. Anonymous, thanks for giving us the chance to explore eye contact a little deeper. We hope that your next dinner out is a little more engaging. And it's by our eyes that we are able to gain a great part of our knowledge. Nature has located the eye close to the brain so that its messages may arrive there quickly. Our next question is about test kitchen testing friendship. (laughs) Dear Lizzie and Dan, Recently, a friend who knows I'm a vegan who cooks most of her food from scratch texted me a recipe for veggie stock. She accompanied the recipe with, please try this and let me know if it works. I really didn't want to try the recipe and had a recipe that was working for me already. So I figured the best response was none in hopes that she would drop the topic. (laughs) Unfortunately, she did not drop the topic and asked me several days later to let her know how the stock works when I make it. I think my response wasn't kind. I told her, I'm not likely to make it, actually. My veggie stock that I'm using right now is working fine, particularly as it takes little labor and is free. I then rethought the issue and wrote another text saying, thank you, though, for the suggestion. I appreciate it. How could I have handled this better? Sincerely, the accidental rude friend. Accidental rude friend, ARF? Uh, (laughs) We have an ARF on our hands here tonight, an accidental rude friend. I, I, I think you... You probably could have responded better in the first text message. I'm not likely to make, actually, I think is the line that gets me as the not gracious, not your best etiquette moment Actually. It's the actually is actually make a difference. But what I would have – this is just what I would have done in in response to such a thing because someone's texting you a recipe that they've found somewhere. And we all know from Pinterest and being online everywhere that not all recipes are built alike. Not all sources of recipes are built alike. So just getting a random link to a recipe and having someone say, please try this for me and tell me how it goes – yeah, to me, it does feel way too directive, way too Im- imposing. Um, hey, I was wondering if maybe we could get together and make this recipe together. Or, hey, have you ever tried one similar to this? Did it work for you? Or, hey, I'm looking for a great veggie stock. Would you be able to shoot me over your recipe? I think all would have been better options for the friend to have engaged in. But the friend didn't. This is what they did. So this is, you know, where we are. And I probably would have responded to this text of, hey, do this for me, with you know, right now I don't really have the time or, oh, I've got a recipe I really love. Would you like me to share that with you? I think that that would have been a good way to go. But and then if there's a further push for this particular recipe, you can say, you know, I have to be honest, I'm not looking to test recipes right now. And then say, I'm happy to keep it on hand for when I do venture out. But right now I'm just not interested in doing it. (laughs) I barely have time to make my favorites right now. Just so you know, listener, there are a lot of other things I would like to say to this person. Like, who do you think I am? Like, where's all this free time coming from? Would you like to pay for the groceries that it's going to cost to do this? There's a lot of snippy things that come into my mind. But, the you know, I'd I'd love to send you the recipe that's working for me is a perfectly legitimate counter offer. I appreciate your effort to keep your snippiness in line. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) The thought that occurred to me as I was reading this question was that this might be someone making an effort 
although it might be a bad effort that's not being received the way it's intended, to connect with someone who maybe has a slightly different diet than they do. This is Let's connect. Go do this thing for me, by the way, and tell me how it all works. Sometimes our best <laughs> intentions fall a little flat. And what I like about your answers and your general direction around what I think are some good sample scripts is that you're keeping your enthusiasm on the side of satisfaction, not on the rejection. That you're saying, I'm happy with what I'm doing. I like this. And you're not emphasizing or adding a lot of emotional punch or oomph to the, no, I'd really rather not. And that can be the simple part of the reply. And then the, the elaboration that adds tone and context is the, I've got a recipe I really like. Maybe you'd like it too. It makes enough that it lasts me for a month. Here's why I like it. It's free. (laughs) It's easy. I got that when I read the question. And I think that getting a little bit of that into the reply to the friend is going to help. Yeah. I do want to commend you, though, on on your follow-up for trying to just realizing that your your text might not have hit the right tone. And so making sure you follow up with something that might be closer I do think that that does help. I know I fire off a lot of text messages that are then followed up with like the emoji text that's like, oh, and by the way, I forgot all the fun stuff that's like, (laughs) because I'm just go, go, going. I forget that like, oh, wait, niceties are important here in texting. ARF, it happens to everyone. I wouldn't worry too much about it. And good work adjusting that tone. Excuse me for interrupting, boys and girls, but maybe you would like to find out just what it would be like if there were no rules. You're right. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, and feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Sustaining members, please remember to put sustaining member in your question. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette in your post so that we know you want your question or feedback on the show. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And this week, our first piece of feedback is about avoiding that conversation on the plane. I just started listening to the podcast. I like to listen when I'm cooking, running, or doing housework. About a month ago, I listened to the one where you spoke about how asking someone what they do for work is not proper etiquette. Since then, I've been challenged with coming up with better questions to ask people I first meet instead of the default, what do they do? It's been fun doing that. A few weeks ago, I was on a plane. I sat next to a nice lady, and we got to chatting. She asked me what I did for work, but I didn't ask her. We still managed to have a good conversation. At one point, she mentioned that she was going home to see family, but sometimes it gets awkward with her family. She said it was because she dances. When she said that, I said, oh, that's cool. I wanted to ask her if she did ballet or something else, but it didn't make sense why that made things awkward. Then I realized that she meant that she did the other type of dancing, the dancing that happens late at night. I was embarrassed, and she didn't really talk much more about it. Either way, I was glad that I didn't start with, what do you do? Thanks for your etiquette advice and saving me from an awkward hour and a half flight. That's true. You never do know what someone does. And I never want to put down any type of profession as being something awkward to talk about. And I just want to put that out there since it is a accepted profession in many, many states. But I think that it it is a good reminder that what you do sometimes can be, you know, something that people don't love to talk about or that they know isn't comfortable for everyone. And 
There are many, many, many professions that fall into that category. And there are many, many, many topics that fall into that category. Oftentimes, the best conversation is defined by what isn't said, as well as what is. Our next piece of feedback is about the order of names on a holiday card, something we discussed in episode 218. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. My name is Susie from Orlando, Florida, and I always love listening to your podcast and my questions that you've answered. I'm listening to episode 218. I like to stock up on unplayed ones and listen on my work commute. Not sure if there's been any feedback on this yet. Anyway, I'm responding to the question about the order of names on holiday cards. I'm 27 years old and have a mom, dad, an older brother, and a younger sister. As you can imagine, our holiday cards have changed throughout the years. When I was in middle school and high school, the cards were consistently my siblings and me. In recent years, my parents started wanting entire family pictures, but it's been harder for all five of us to be together as we've moved out of our home years ago. There's never really a rhyme or reason to how we stand. So when my dad makes them, he puts on the card, Happy Holidays from our last name, comma, Names of Us. And our names are in the order of how we are standing. Anyway, I wanted to share this because holiday cards have always been big in my family, and each family is different. So do what makes you happy. That's what my parents taught me. Inserted our sample pictures, and they're very cute. Thanks so much. Happy holidays. Sorry this is so long. If you didn't get the whole thing, let me know. Susie, thank you for the question. It's so nice to hear about how different people do this, and I can totally see how the happenstance of fate in terms of how people run to get in that picture could set the order for the holiday card. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's postscript continues our holiday theme, and it's about holiday cards. It is. You ask us so many questions about holiday cards throughout the years, we figured that we would we'd do a little primer on them in a postscript segment for ease of finding them in the future. But holiday cards, Dan, who can send them? Anybody. You mean even me, who's single with no children? I thought this was like only a pride, you know, be proud of your family type thing. Absolutely. Especially you, Lizzie Post. <laughs> One of my favorite stories about holiday cards oh, yeah? is the friend I had in high school who sent my parents a holiday card every year. He was from a different faith tradition than my parents mm-hmm. and made such an impression on them. They always said, <laughs> he is so nice. That friend of yours is the nicest friend of yours. Here he was, a teenager who made the effort to reach across faith traditions, across generations, and my parents remember it to this day. Oh Anybody goodness. can send a card. I guarantee it will make an impression. One thing that doesn't totally always happen is generally singles don't do pictures of themselves. Like you don't kind of do a selfie as your card. And this is actually a question we get a lot. So I thought I would put it out there. However, if you're doing something really cool, you know, like I could totally see putting like a picture of you on the top of a mountain or on the top of a mountain with your dog. I'm thinking of myself right now, (laughs) you know, and sending that out, but not one that's maybe just like 
just you. I don't know why. That seems a little selfie-driven in that department. But sending a picture of you doing something that was maybe a great adventure from the year or something from the year that, you know, you really love. Maybe it's your house all done up with lights. Maybe it's a picture from summer with your whole family and it's just you sending the card out to everybody. I tend to make my cards and so I have like a collection of stamps and different inks and glitters and all kinds of stuff and I like to make mine and I do handmade cards each year. So whatever fits your fancy, whether you are single, a couple, a family, a trio, whatever it is, please feel free to send out holiday cards and spread the cheer. Well, you're you're leading us into the next question okay. with your handmade cards so impressed over here. <laughs> What do you write? How do you make these? What do they look like? Oh, my cards? There's tons of craft stores and even online you can just find blank envelopes and and cards. And so order a set, whatever you like. And then I go and buy stamps and really nice markers and pens. And oftentimes I'll, I'll practice my handwriting and stuff like that before I do it. But I'll put joy to the world or happy new year, merry and bright, um, season's greetings, let it snow, let it snow. And I handwrite it on and put a little message in it and and it's good to go. But you've seen them. You get them each year. <laughs> and you're, again, transitioning us into the next part of this question is what do you say inside? What right. do you write in the card itself? Is it okay to acknowledge the faith tradition that someone's celebrating? Absolutely. And this is actually one of the reasons why I tend to do my cards. I tend to try to send my cards out so that they land. We celebrate Christmas in our family, but I tend to send them out so that they land between Christmas and New Year's so that they really are more of a New Year's card and wishing someone a happy year to come. And in that, I'll often write in it something like, I hope you and your family had a wonderful Hanukkah this year and are really looking forward to a happy 2019. And that's the kind of message I'll put in. I don't do a newsletter. Do you guys do a newsletter with yours? Do you kind of do the family update? No, we don't. We do the postcard with the picture. Do they do like multi- where it lines up like multiple pictures and you put like a little message like season's greetings from the Sennings and it's like four pictures together. And we don't do four. We do one. Okay. But yeah, no, we participate in that emerging holiday card tradition mm-hmm. of the where everyone on your list gets this, this picture postcard, yeah. that's essentially a postcard that ends up. I imagine on the refrigerator in that collage of similar postcards that is actually one of those holiday traditions I very much enjoy. And I'm looking forward to refreshing our refrigerator over the month of December. So one thing that we talk about is not bragging in this holiday card. And if you are kind of sharing tidbits of everybody's lives from the past year, rather than saying, oh, well, Susie scored a, oh my gosh, what do they score on their SATs now? Is it like... I think it's still 800. It's been... The no, no, no. It was, like, slid, it was but... like 1600 like a long time ago and then it jumped up again. I think it's different now. Regardless, you don't put the actual score of the SAT on it, but you would say, you know, she's through the SATs and excited to start applying to college. Or if your child has chosen a college... State the college that they've chosen, but don't state all the colleges that they got into or got scholar, or, you know, like, and JC has a $50,000 scholarship to Brown. And you're just like, going, oh, goodness. And it's good. JC, that's a that's something to be proud of, but it's not something you put in an announcement like this particular letter. So be careful about bragging or boasting. Yep. What about the other side of that? Negative yeah. news is really tough. This might have been the year where maybe you got divorced or maybe someone in the family 
family passed away or that beloved pooch is no longer around. But those are the types of things that you might gently allude to someone having passed. You might say something like, you know, this was a really tough year losing dad, but we were so grateful for everybody's love and support. And it's made the holidays that much more special on this particularly, you know, difficult year or something like that. And that would be okay. But how long we were in the hospital for and how trying it was and and all of that, that's kind of not the tone you want to set. But that can be, you know, something that you talk with about folks and in, in your private conversations, just not that kind of mass mailed out news announcement. So we've picked cards. Maybe we've followed Lizzie Post's example. We made them ourselves. Maybe we've just purchased some cards. Maybe we've done the Photos. Daniel Post sending thing where you're doing this through an online service like Vistaprint or something. Mm-hmm. What do you do at the end? It's time to sign these cards. So we've talked about this a lot. I feel like, can you all guess? Pause on the podcast for a minute and just guess what you think we're going to say for this. But I think that names are good. Names are really good. You want to use names when you sign the card, whether it is first names, a last name as a family name, combined last names. If you are the Sennings and the Gupta Sennings, um, you could do that. Uh, you can do names in order of appearance in a photo. You can do names in order of birth order, names of order of characteristically who was the most elfish this year. I don't know. It's however you deem appropriate is okay. Men do not have to come before women. Women do not have to come before men. You can sign your cards any which way that you would like your names to appear. The important thing is to sign them. I like this advice so much. And I was talking to a reporter recently about the tradition of sending the more holiday newsletter. And we were acknowledging that I think at its sort of heyday or peak, these things were often printed out. Sometimes people would put a picture on them also, but that it really helped personalize it if you could sign it yourself, if you could put your name on it. And I would say the same thing to someone who's doing that new tradition of getting a stack of the, the postcards with the pictures that go out. You can just upload a spreadsheet of addresses and off they go from that online service. If you can let them pass through your hands and sign them with your name, if not just a a tiny little personal acknowledgement of the season's greetings, I think it's a really nice way to personalize that message and, and add a little bit of a human touch to it. We hope that this answers all your burning questions about holiday cards, although I'm sure we will get a few more suggestions and follow-up thoughts to come. But we hope that it inspires you to get those cards out the door and really connect with your family and friends. It is a wonderful, wonderful holiday tradition. And don't forget to stay tuned for next week when we are talking about how to get your guest room ready for all of those holiday visitors. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world. And that can come in so many forms. Today, we hear from Emily, who is saluting all the people that open doors for her because she uses a manual wheelchair. I'm calling because I want to give an awesome etiquette salute to all the people that open doors for me every single day. So I use a manual wheelchair. And it can sometimes be a struggle to get through doors, especially heavy ones, even ones that it's not a struggle to get through. I always appreciate when someone holds them for me. And I want to give a special shout-out to all the people at Ikea. 
on Sunday, I went by myself, and I had a lady help find me a spot at a table and then even went and got water and utensils for me, even though she totally didn't have to do that. And someone helped me get my cart out to the car from the register. I really appreciate the help, and navigating the world in a wheelchair is not always the easiest, but it sure is a heck of a lot easier when so many awesome people go out of their way to be polite and helpful. Emily, thank you for this fabulous salute. Etiquette can make such a difference, and this is a really good reminder of that. And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us your next question, comment, or salute by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can reach us by phone to leave a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider helping us out by becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. You can also help us out by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app, and it really does make a difference if you take a second and leave us a review. And our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Chris and Bridget. Thanks, Chris and Bridget. Bridget.